Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Whether you do intense creative work every single day or you do intense athletic training, or if you happen to do both like me, the most overlooked aspect of life is often recovery. If you don't recover, you can't train harder. If you don't recover, you can't focus or solve difficult creative problems, especially if you're dealing with tight deadlines. And if you don't recover, you will eventually burn out. But thanks to the Aura Ring, recovery is now as measurable as your weight, your height, or even your daily step count. My guest today is Chuck Hazard. He is an entrepreneur and an expert when it comes to wearable technology and biohacking, and he is currently the vice president of sales at a company called Aura, which is based in Finland, but it is now taking the United States by storm with its device, the Aura Ring. Now, if you're not familiar with the Aura Ring, it's probably because you would never recognize that somebody else is even wearing one, and by the way, that's part of its brilliance. Now, it's easy to spot Apple Watches or Fitbits or the countless other trackers that people wear today, but the Aura Ring is as inconspicuous as it comes because it essentially looks like a very simple wedding band. That's right, you just wear it on your finger. But despite its design simplicity, there is no question that it is the best sleep tracker on the market today. If you have any interest in measuring and improving the quality of your sleep at a level that's so detailed that your doctor would be envious, and by the way, this is a medical-grade device, then you need to listen to this interview. Chuck and I take a deep dive into the sleep quantification rabbit hole, and we discuss the many kinds of medical-grade measurements that the Aura Ring takes while you're sleeping, including your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, your respiration rate, your body temperature, and more. But more importantly, we talk about how all this data is only meaningful if you know how to interpret it and then modify your daily behaviors so you are ultimately better rested and you have recovered enough to take on whatever today's challenge might be. Okay, without further ado, my interview with biohacking expert Chuck Hazard. (laughs) 
I'm here today with Chuck Hazard, who is the VP of sales at Aura. He's also an avid trail runner, and he's the creator of the Human Optimization Project. So it's probably no mystery why I'm having you on the Optimize Yourself podcast. So Chuck, it is a pleasure to have you here today. It's great to be here, Zach. Thank you. Well, this is going to be exciting for me because I am a bit of a wearables junkie. Um, I love quantification. I love numbers. I love having the awareness of my behaviors and seeing how I can compare them over time and knowing that at any moment, I can go back into my Fitbit account from March of 2014 and see how much I was walking that day versus yesterday. So to me, education and awareness is so super important. And that's why I have you on the show today. But specifically, the reason that I have you on the show is to talk about something that's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome, which is the Aura Ring. So just talk to me a little bit briefly so people can understand who you are, what your background is, and what this technology is that you and I are going to really dive deep into today. Yeah, so we're kind of kindred spirits. I've been a uh, sort of, I guess you'd call a biohacker since the mid-80s and have tested uh, almost every wearable that's ever been brought to the market and continue to do that because I'm very fascinated by what other companies are doing besides Aura. My background is sort of smattered. I've done a little bit of everything from driving forklifts to uh, being a software developer, uh, to a practicing attorney, uh, heart math coach, and uh, helping a bunch of startups, you know, sort of business uh, mentor. And so that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> so what is it be besides being just kind of a, a biohacking junkie and being into all this stuff, what is your actual background when it comes to the tech side of wearables? Because you and I have exchanged a few emails and you clearly know your terminology and you know the the tech behind this stuff. It's like for me, I can say, well, this is what Fitbit does or this is what Aura does or whatever. But if somebody asked me how, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I guess a combination of having been a software developer, so I understand that side of the equation. And then also uh, having spent a lot of time studying electrical engineering and then working with in the early start-off phase of some of the you know common wearables you know of today, like Garmin on the ground floor. So I was able to appreciate some of the challenges and what they were trying to accomplish. And then on top of that, I also spend quite a bit of my day uh, combing through research on physiology, you know, heart rate, heart rate variability, um, sleep, uh, all kinds of different things. So, you know, and again, as a tester of, you know, a lot of different wearables that I swap out, you know, every week, you know, I, you know, I have a good understanding of what people are trying to accomplish in general. Well, I, what I want to do is really dive into some of the terminology so people understand what the Aura Ring specifically does. And am I saying it right? Is it Aura or Aura or like, well, what's well, the... <laughs> here in the U.S., I mean, I probably, you know, be slapped by some of my peers at, uh, at the company. I call it Aura. I think the pronunciation varies if you're Finnish versus the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I can't say for sure. Even after you know working with them since November 2016, it's still a challenge. Well, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I wanted to make sure that people listening understood that this is actually a product that was developed um, and is headquartered in Finland, which is, I think is it, the reason I bring that up is because I've actually had a couple of other podcasts for other 
products that didn't originate in the U.S., one of them being the human charger, which I'm a big yes. fan as well. Yeah, and I can um, tell you a little bit about that too. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. There must be something in the water. <laughs> right? That's, that's what I was thinking. Like, what is with these Finnish people coming up with all these really amazing wearables? Like, what's... Yeah, so the university where our headquarters are in, I think it's Mount Ulu, <laughs> uh, is really, really strong in physiology degrees. And yeah, so the people don't, re- a lot of people don't realize this, but just in, you know, the sort of the central northern part of Finland, you've got, you know, Polar was started there, Bedit, EMFIT QS, which is another bed-based system. Uh, the human charger was created by one of the top uh, scientists at Polar for many years. Uh, his peer at Polar works for uh, Uranel. And so they were sort of did a lot of the, you know, development of the analytics for Polar over the years and did some really incredible stuff uh, starting way back. I mean, they were the, they were the early uh, people studying heart rate variability and how that could be used to gauge the performance and recovery of athletes. Well, and that's definitely an area that I want to go into, but before we dive into heart rate variability and all the really it, you know, intricacies of how the aura works or even how other wearables work. Where I want to start is my guess is most of the people listening probably are not terribly familiar with this device. So if I were coming to you just saying, hey, I heard this thing about, uh, I guess it's called an aura ring. Like, what is it? I don't understand it. What, what, what does it do for me? Yeah. So I, I mean, a lot of people, you know, we go to conferences, ask that very question and they have a hard time believing that we can do what we can with a ring in a ring format. But what I usually tell them in a nutshell, I mean, most wearables are trying to measure things off the top of your wrist. It's convenient. Piece parts to build the things are fairly cheap uh, off the shelf products, but it's not a good place to measure anything. We chose to measure off the base of your finger because you happen to have two arteries that run at the base of your finger, which deliver all the blood to your fingers. So it's a very good place to get rich data off the human body. And so what we do is we have two infrared sensors. Infrared is invisible light. It's a high, uh, I always get this wrong, it's probably a higher frequency than red light, Uh, but it's in the invisible spectrum of light. Uh, we use that spectrum because it'll, it, you can actually go uh, deep through skin and bone to, not that you're collecting a lot of stuff off the bones, but anyway, you can get really rich biometrics off that signal. And we sample at 250 times a second off those sensors. Uh, nobody in the wearable industry comes even close to that. And we're not doing that to be show-offs. We do that because that happens to be sort of the the bottom of the sampling rate that allows you to get uh, truly clinical grade measurements for heart rate, heart rate variability, and respiratory rate. Then we also have a temperature sensor. While you're sleeping, your skin and core temperature are the same. It's only time during a 24 hour cycle. And so that allows us to measure a thermometer accuracy temperatures from the human body while you're sleeping. And we sample once per minute on that. And then we have motion sensors, an accelerometer and gyro uh, that sample at 50 times a second. So we take all of that technology, we use it to accurately determine when you fell asleep, 
what happened when you were sleeping and when you woke up. We then, so we give you all the detailed sleep tracking of stages. We also measure your heart rate and heart rate variability throughout the night. We measure your temperature throughout the night. We measure how restless you are or aren't, how tranquil. We then give you a recovery score, uh, you know, based on are you recovered from the prior day's stresses. And then we use the motion sensors to track your activity during the day. Now, the other thing we do, you know, a little different than most 99.9% of the wearables, and some of them will get there eventually, is we create a single score for three areas that I just briefly went over. So there's a score zero to 100 for sleep. There's one for recovery we call readiness and another one for activity. And so if you're not really into all the gory details of what we're tracking, if you just look at those numbers, you can get a good sense of, did I sleep well? Did I recover well? Am I getting a good balance of activity during the day? And you can think of it as, you know, so the circadian rhythm is, you know, what you do during the day determines how well you'll sleep that night and how well you sleep that night will determine how recovered you are and what you're capable of doing the next day. And it's like a circle, right? Well, I'm glad that you kind of broke this down because that's exactly the direction that I wanted to go talking about the ring um, is these three different areas. And I, it doesn't seem that there's any disagreement amongst the entire wearables industry that you guys have blown everybody else out of the water when it comes to sleep track. I mean, the sleep, I've done sleep tracking with multiple other wearables and I've really spent the last two or three years trying to learn as much as I can about how to get better sleep, mostly because I do very intense creative work for long hours. And I found that if I wasn't taking care of my sleep, I couldn't generate ideas and it just, I was dealing with brain fog and sleep really was the one thing that I had to focus on. So I'm pretty familiar with like how the Fitbit does it and the different sleep stages, but it wasn't until I put on the Aura Ring and slept with it for a few nights that I said, oh my God, there's so much more data that's available to help me understand my sleep patterns. I thought I was sleeping pretty well. And then I put this thing on, I'm like, whoa, I've got a lot of work to do here. So let's just start kind of at the, the fundamental first stage and you'd kind of broken down some of the, the different areas, but is it, so it's using the accelerometer to track like the different stages of sleep as far as if I'm moving too much or like, how does that work? Because with other wearables, like if you're using your iPhone and the Sleep Cycle app or the Fitbit, it's mostly based on like, is the bed moving and is there movement? So how do you guys track how restless or not restless I am? Well, let me start out with there's there's sort of uh, two components of you know everything that has to do with sleep from the ring standpoint. So the first thing is uh, identifying if somebody is actually in bed and is committed to falling asleep. And so what we use for that part of it is the the motion sensors in temperature. Okay, because we can already see you know one if you're not moving a lot and your temperature is starting to trend in the direction of somebody that's actually going to sleep, we can figure out very accurately when you fell asleep. I don't know exactly how Fitbit and other people do that. They might use motion sensors only. They may be looking at heart rate, but heart rate could be a little dangerous. 
Because even if you're just sitting, your heart rate can get pretty low depending on the person. Well, and there, there have been times too, not to interrupt you, but there were many times where my Fitbit said that I went to sleep at 8.30 at night, but that's just when I took an hour to watch some TV before I went to bed. So it would almost say like I had a nap from 8.30 to 9.30 and then I went to bed at 10. I'm like, eh, it's not really terribly accurate, but I've never had that problem with the aura ring. Yeah, there, there is a small subset of people who they're, they're still, they could be reading in bed or watching a movie on the couch. And their heart rates are, uh, I mean, their temperature is already starting to change. So, but there is, and it, these are like outliers, but we do have some users that have reported it saying they went to sleep when they really weren't asleep. And we're continually work to refine our algorithms to capture, you know, the outliers. And it's, it's a challenge because when you're designing a wearable, you can think of it as a bell curve. You're, you're trying to, you know, design for sort of the, the sweet spot of the bell curve, and you're always going to have outliers on both sides, and it's not always possible to capture all those outliers. One of the things that I really want to make sure that I'm emphasizing is the having tracked my sleep for years, this really picks up, like you said, almost to the minute when I'm actually in bed. So that's been a huge differentiator for me because I think one of the false assumptions that I was working under is the amount of total bedtime versus total sleep time I was really looking at the total bedtime more than anything and saying, well, my Fitbit thinks that I went to bed at 9.30 or 10. And for anybody listening, yes, I'm 100 years old and I go to bed before 10 a.m. <laughs> um, but that's because I also wake up early and I train really hard and sleep is the most vital thing on the planet to me. So I protect sleep like Fort Knox. Right. Um, but I was going under the assumption that, oh, I'm getting over seven hours of sleep every single night and that's great. And then all of a sudden I started to see the total sleep time versus bedtime. I was like, whoa, this is way different than I thought. And I had to start making changes to my evening routine, my habits. And um, that was a big shift for me. So talk a little bit about what is sleep time versus bedtime? Yeah, well, I mean, sleep time is what it means is, is if somebody, you could have the motion sensor being activated, right? And, but your temperature could be deviating. So it looks like you're at least intent, intending to go to sleep. And likewise, in the morning, you're moving around enough that we can tell you're awake, but you actually haven't gotten out of bed. And so the time, total time in bed is when you go to, you know, actually physically get in bed to the time when you get out of bed. Sleep time is when we determine you have actually fallen asleep. And part of that that we show in the the app and on the cloud is uh, sleep latency which is the time between when you physically went to bed and when you fell asleep. So, so that's the difference basically is total time physically in bed versus time asleep while you're in bed. Yeah, and to me, that really was a, a huge wake-up call for me where I was counting so much on just this generalized number of, oh, you've been in bed for this long and I would get the little green star every day and feel good about myself. Um, but then you guys really made me realize I suck at sleep, um, which is good. That's why I got it. Right, because the other thing you see, I mean, a lot of people think they, because they're in bed a long time, but they still feel like crap. Uh, then they get something like the Oura Ring that can track sleep accurately, or they go to a sleep study, and it becomes very apparent that they, they're one of these people that they just like wake up all the time during the night because they're stressed or whatever, uh, and they just aren't sleeping well. They're getting just like little pockets of sleep throughout the night, 
but they're never getting deep sleep. Yeah, and I was the kind of person that would wake up and I wouldn't remember being awake at all during the night. So I would fall asleep at around 9.30 or 10, wake up at maybe 5.30, 6, 6.30 in the morning, be like, oh, you know what? I don't remember waking up, therefore I must have had a good night of sleep. But then right. it takes me two or three hours just to get going. And I'm like, but I got a full night of sleep and I couldn't really understand why. But what I loved about this, and I'm going to just basically read this right off of the app because I really thought that the when I got the Fitbit Blaze and it actually broke down the sleep stages, I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. But then I got this and I realized that that is like light years behind what you guys have. So when I read down the list in the app of all the things I get from a single night of sleep, it's total bedtime, it's total sleep time, there's efficiency, there's also tranquility, which is the number of times that I wake up or don't wake up. Then you break it down versus REM sleep and deep sleep to the minute. And there's also latency, which you talked about already, which is how long it takes me to fall asleep, but then also timing. Because you can have, and you can explain this in further detail, but from what I've learned about sleep is that you can pretty much have the same environment and the same behaviors. But if you're usually going to sleep between 10 and 6, and now all of a sudden you go to sleep between 1 and 9, that's going to change your circadian rhythm. And that's what I'm assuming that the timing function is. Well, yeah. So the for most people, no matter, and we can talk about circadian well, chronotypes and circadian rhythms, but the timing has to do with people, unless you're a shift worker, the midpoint of your sleep should be between midnight and 2 a.m. And that's what the timing is about. Uh, the other thing you mentioned, efficiency, is of the time you were sleeping, how much of it were you actually asleep? So that's sort of another spin on how tranquil your sleep was. Well, and another question that I have along those lines, and we don't have to go you know, deep into the science or the biology of this, um, but just for me personally, just knowing that I have a, an expert on the call with me, um, I'm having a hard time still getting enough deep sleep. REM sleep, I knock it out of the park. But deep sleep, I'm still not getting quite enough. So what is the difference between those two for those that might not know? And what could I be doing to get more deep sleep? Right. So from a scientific standpoint, and this is a little different than marketing uh, by wearables, and is they really categorize sleep as REM sleep and then non-REM sleep. The non-REM has been further divided into deep and light sleep. Deep sleep is defined as any non-REM sleep that has at least 20% of shortwave sleep. And so you could take that and say, well, maybe all of light sleep potentially has some shortwave sleep. So one thing I tell people is don't get too caught up in how much deep sleep you have. Uh, we're still learning a lot about you know, what happens to the human body while we sleep. It's evident that you know, we need it. It's good for us. A lot of cool things happen. Uh, but as far as deep sleep, I mean, the key point, I guess, would be a question is, how can I get more? Deep sleep tends to occur mostly in the first half of your sleep. So anything that's going to rev you up when right before you go to bed will potentially, you know, cause you to end up with less deep sleep. So some of the main things are is, is going back to chronotype, we, in the app, you've probably already seen because you've had the ring long enough, we provide guidance on when you should go to bed. And this is based on looking back at your past history. And this is part of our first stab at circadian rhythms is determining when you got the highest sleep scores based on when you went to bed. 
so we can then give you guidance for you individually on the window when you should go to bed. Because if you have a mismatch in your, when you go to bed typically, or even on a given night, in your chronotype, you will definitely not have the structure of sleep that you really need. So in other words, you might not have any deep sleep because you're going to bed too late for your chronotype. So by example, say you should be a person like me that's supposed to go to bed between 8.30 and 9.15 pretty early. Um, If I stayed up till uh, midnight or 1 p.m., I'm definitely not going to feel good the next day. I'm not going to get any deep sleep and I'll probably have a very restless night. Other things, uh, late meals, especially if they're rich, uh, can rev up your heart rate, which you won't get much deep sleep because of that. Blue light exposure, uh, both housing lights, LEDs, compact fluorescence, uh, computer screens, any electronics, TVs. Uh, reading email in bed is a no-no, especially if it's from your boss. You know, certain movies, if they get you too jazzed up, any of those things can raise your heart rate, which lowers your heart rate variability and will basically prevent you from getting in into the right physiological state that you can achieve deep sleep. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from Ergo Driven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life. They're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Well, the one of the really cool things that I want to bring up just to emphasize again that it's been such a game changer for me with sleep, like you said, is the fact that it's not just pulling data saying this is when people should sleep or this is how long people should sleep. It looks at your data and says, this is when you need to go to bed. This is how long you need to sleep. And that's something that you do not get from any other wearable that I'm aware of, at least, that's actually 
getting an idea of who you are as a person individually, and then changing the information to your own type, which like with Fitbit, you know, at best, you're going to get the little graph that's like you had this much REM and this much deep sleep or whatever. But it's not changing over time. It's just giving you the same data based on their tables. Right. And that's the thing where our goal is to help people become, you know, the better versions of themselves. And so one of the missing things, you know, we have that we're still working on is learning more about the individual, the user of the ring. So as you, if you played around the app, the little plus sign on the bottom, you can add uh, notes and tags. And so once people start using notes and tags, we can then take that information about them, look back at their data and help them find ways that they can improve sleep, improve recovery and improve you know, how they function during the day. Well, and the fact that you bring up recovery is perfect because that's exactly where I wanted to transition to next. And that's this readiness score. And I think before diving too deep into readiness, what I want to talk about a little bit, and I've done an entire podcast about HRV in the past with Rhonda Collier, who I'm assuming you probably- Yes, I know her very well. I'm sure you do. And she's great. So she and I talked about the, the foundations of what HRV really means or heart rate variability. So I'll put a link in the show notes if somebody wants a super deep dive for an hour all about how this technology works. But just kind of give people a brief two to three minute synopsis of what HRV is and why it's important, especially if you're trying to recover either from stress or from strenuous exercise. I mean, a lot of people are not familiar with heart rate variability and they falsely believe that the human heart beats like a metrodome, which it doesn't. In, in other words, you know, it doesn't change the, the timing between each heartbeat is exactly the same to the millisecond every time. Uh, that is not true. Your heart, if you're healthy, the more it varies between beats, the time between beats, the more healthy your, your heart is. And uh, so that's, that's what's being measured here. And the, the way we measure, the same way that Sweetwater Health does, uh, Rhonda's company, is we use RMSSD. People do not need to know what that means. But uh, we, you know, again, we sample at 250 times a second. We take all those samples, we run, run them over five minutes and determine what your heart rate variability is for that five-minute period. So if somebody sleeps for, let's say, eight hours, that would be 96 distinct HRV samples that we then, uh, you know, we give the average of, the max of, and we show a graph of in both the app and in the cloud. Now, one of the Biggest uses for heart rate variability is to determine the level of stress of an individual. Uh, the higher the HRV number is, uh, that shows that somebody is more what's called parasympathetic, which is rest and relaxation. If it's lower, it shows that you're stressed, which means the fight or flight. To explain this in sort of lay people terms, a high stress situation for us from a biological standpoint is you're walking through the jungle and a tiger attacks you, <laughs> which happened to our ancestors. And so your, your respiration rate rises, your heart rate rises, your blood flow increases to get your muscles pumped up with energy so you can run away from the lion. But after you get away from the lion, you should get back into a parasympathetic place where your, uh, your heart rate slows, respiration rate slows. Uh, but the problem in today's society is we have social media, we work long hours, we have you know, jobs that are stressful, uh, we have toxins in our environment that cause stress. So people are walking around 
just chronically stressed now. They're always in fight or flight mode, which is not good. And so one of the things that the O-ring can help you do as far as the recovery, based on our HRV that we measure every night, is we can show people that you can make some lifestyle changes and, re- and it will be reflected in your heart rate variability and in- included that then your readiness score. Well, and one of the really cool things about HRV that I've discovered, um, having measured it almost every morning for years, is that it's an amazing predictor of when you're going to get sick. So I've actually known before I'm getting sick, just because of my HRV, like, whoa, my HRV dropped 35 points. That's weird because I feel fine. And then 12 hours or 24 hours later, I come down with a cold. And I'm like, okay, that's just creepy. Because my, my body knows before I do. Yeah, so we've, we've seen, I've seen this personally in a lot of uh, employees and users of the Aura Rim because we also have the temperature sensor. I've seen my temperature rising in the app, you know, get yellow, you know, like two or three days before I've come down with like the flu. <laughs> well, and the, just to exhibit this this specific week, um, I traveled on Monday and Tuesday. I did like this quick 24-hour um, round-trip flight from the West Coast to the East Coast. And when I landed, I'm like, oh, I don't feel too bad. And then on Wednesday, I felt pretty good, but my heart rate had basically dropped in half. So if I'm looking at this week's scores, so from Saturday to Tuesday, it was 84, 83, 84, 80. So I'm pretty consistently in the low to mid 80s with my HRV, which isn't perfect, but it's fairly good from my understanding. And then on Wednesday, it's 49. And then I woke up on Thursday, which is yesterday because we're recording this on a Friday. So I woke up on Thursday morning and I thought I had been hit by a truck. And I could barely function all day long. I couldn't write. I couldn't get any work done. I think I got like two or 3,000 steps. I basically felt like I had the 24-hour flu. And then I woke up this morning with a 73. I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good again. But the point being, the HRV knew it was coming before I did. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, something's coming on, which to me is just really cool that I can do that. Um, so one thing that I want to ask about HRV is because I've been doing it for, I think it's been at least four years, I've always done it the way that Rhonda recommends where you wake up and it's the first thing you do in the morning before you're really active at all. But from my understanding, I was just getting one five-minute sample and the numbers that I was getting were different than the ones I was getting with the Aura. So you're saying you're doing that sample continuously the entire night. Right. And the, the reason, one of the reasons for doing it at night is that uh, you remove any of the confounding variables. So when you take, and I've, like you, I've taken samples. I actually, I think, crashed uh, Sweetwater Health servers because I wore a chest strap for several days, just dumping data into their server. But when you take a, uh, even if you do it, you wake up, you know, you roll over, grab the heart strap or some other gizmo, take the measurement. You know, the kids are already awake, you know, so you hear them, you hear pots clanging, dog whining to go out, you're starting to think about work. Or in my case, I can consciously or subconsciously, I want a high score, I'll drive my HRV higher because I'm thinking about it and I want it so badly, I, I consciously, subconsciously change my breathing and achieve a higher score than I might have otherwise. So taking the morning... If you're trending it in the same, you take it the same time of day over time, the trends could be interesting. But if you take it at night, the trends are even more interesting because I believe it's a more accurate assessment of where you are, you know, your state. Yeah. And the reason that that's been so important to me specifically is that I decided this year that I was going to go from being 
somewhat sedentary, somebody that, you know, made sure that I went hiking once a week and tried to get my 10,000 steps. But it was pretty much, you know, I, I work in front of a computer for a living. So I was trying to stay healthy, so to speak, but I wasn't athletic. And then at the beginning of this year, I said, you know what? I want to do something stupid. I want to train for American Ninja Warrior. There you go. Um, you know, just short of 40 years old, got two kids, got a full-time job. But you know what? I'm going to become an American Ninja Warrior. And it was a dramatic shift in my lifestyle and the volume of activity that I was doing, the intensity levels of the activity that I was doing. And I got to the point over, I don't know, probably the first four to five months where I was just completely overtraining and I really wasn't able to monitor myself very well. And I just, I have a very type A personality and push through things as much as I can. <laughs> and measuring my HRV once in the morning just wasn't cutting it because it would be, oh, my HRV is in the 60s. All right, well, if it's in the 60s, I can probably still push today. But once I started getting my readiness score in the Aura Ring, that was a game changer because there are just so many different levels of readiness. So talk to me a little bit, not just about HRV, but the whole readiness section of the tracking app, because this has really helped me understand how to modify my training volume to my body and my abilities. Yeah. So the way, the way we kind of look at the readiness score is the one number of, are you recovered or not, is sort of akin to a, you know, the charge on your mobile phone. So if your, your cell phone is not, it only has like a 50% battery charge and you have no time to charge it before you're heading out to a meeting and you're going to be at meetings all day, you're not going to feel too good about that because if you rely on it, it's going to be dead by lunchtime. And so it's similar with the human body. So we, it's a very comprehensive number. So it's, instead of just looking at high repairability, for instance, so that what makes up the readiness score is we, we look at um, how restorative your sleep was, and which is huge because that's when you recover. So that goes into the, you know, the calculation. We look at your lowest resting heart rate, not only how low it go, got versus prior days and trends, but also the timing uh, during the night. So if your lowest resting heart rate happens in the second half of your sleep, that's evidence you're revved up by one of the many things I mentioned earlier, late meal, late exercise, blue screen, whatever, alcohol. So you want to have your lowest resting heart rate should be in the beginning of the night, because if you are revved up, you're not going to get as much deep sleep. We also look at heart rate variability. We look at your temperature. Uh, is it you know deviating beyond a certain amount? If it is, you could either be overtrained or sick or coming down with something. And you know we look at some other things too, but those are sort of the big things that go into that number. Well, the one of the biggest struggles that I've had with my training that was just it wasn't thing, something I ever thought was going to be a problem in my life was because I train so much, I'm always hot, always. And I never right. had problems going to sleep in the past, but I could not fall asleep because I was always ridiculously hot. And I'm now experimenting with like the chili pad and the, you know, all these other different options that you have for lowering your body temperature. But even before I started using that technology, the Aura Ring told me that that was the problem. And I, I never had that measured with any device before. And it was saying, you know, your body temperature is at 0.4 or 0.8 degrees above whatever it should be. Like, no kidding it is. That's why I can't sleep. But it was cool to me because I actually had a device that was confirming it because my wife was just like, why are you up all the time? Like, what's going on? It's like, because I'm always hot. I can't get cool. Yeah. But then this device was tracking that and also telling me how ready I was the next day or not ready 
because I was always hot. Right. And that's a good point, though. I mean, people, for getting the highest quality sleep, you should sleep in an environment which is actually 65 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you don't have air conditioning, a chili pad, and the upcoming product there, the same company is releasing calling the Uller, is definitely a good solution for that. Well, and it certainly doesn't help that I live in Los Angeles in Woodland Hills in summer, where it's been right. continuously at least 100 degrees. And you know, right. it costs you basically an extra mortgage payment just to run your air conditioner 24-7. So, That's right. yeah, That's so right. I'm never, I never have a room at 68 degrees. Best case is the low to mid-70s just because I'm cheap. Right. Talk to me a little bit more about resting heart rate at night because this was something that I had never tracked before and I found really interesting because I've always tracked my heartbeat in the morning when I woke up like I did with the HRV and was using that as just some indicator of just my general health, my general cardiovascular health. And I noticed that as I was doing more training, that number was going down. So I always thought, well, hey, if I can get my resting heart rate in the low to mid 60s, I feel like I'm in fairly good shape for my age. And then all of a sudden, I was noticing that my resting heart rate at night was like 40 or 41. So talk to me a little bit about what a number would be for somebody that's either just you know general decent health versus an athlete. Like Because I know that this is kind of a, a point of pride with people like Lance Armstrong or Ben Greenfield, where they talk about their resting heart rate being in their 30s. So talk to me a little bit how resting heart rate corresponds to cardiovascular health. Right. So having an elevated heart rate all the time is not a good sign. I mean, that's why a lot of the risk-based wearables now, like the Apple Watch, Garmin's doing it, I think Fitbit too, <clears throat> where they have a feature you can set like a, a trigger heart rate uh, during the day. So if you, you know, if your activity can't otherwise explain it, they set up an alarm because you could be having a cardiac event. So that's the example of where the higher heart rate is a symbol, you know, definitely a sign that you something bad could possibly be happening, like a cardiac event. The same thing can happen on the low end if, you know, like uh, the new Apple Watch was just announced, the Apple Watch 4, and they've also now got an alarm on the low end. Uh, so if you chronically have a low heart rate, that I'm not sure exactly what sort of, if that's AFib or some, some other cardiac issue, but too low a heart rate, if it's otherwise not explained, could be bad. In the middle, uh, for just normal people, having a resting heart between, you know, probably 45 and 60 is probably reasonable. Uh, as you just pointed out, you know, some high-end athletes, you know, can be down in the 30s. That's not common, but, you know, they can get that low. I'm fairly active endurance runner and, you know, I think on average, you know, I usually don't get much lower than 45 or 46. Well, speaking of endurance running and activity, that's where I want to transition to next. Because when it comes to sleep and readiness, I knew the basics of most of that information. And I knew that the Aura Ring was basically going to take me to the next level beyond what a Fitbit does or what HRV uh, measurement might do with an HRV app. But when it comes to activity in the Aura Ring, I'm still a little, not necessarily confused, but I'm of the mindset where I wear something on my wrist, it tracks my steps, and I've actually, I'm OCD enough that I've actually walked for half an hour and counted every single step and looked at my Fitbit and said, hmm, how accurate is this? Because I've also put my cell phone in my pocket and I've done the same thing and realized that, oh, putting a phone in your pocket, not terribly accurate when it comes to step tracking. On the wrist, it was really, really close. 
the problem with the wrist is that I have a tendency to be um, very animated when I speak. So whenever I do public speaking or I'm recording a video, my step count shoots through the roof. And then I uh, sent you an email just saying, listen, I've compared this, the step count on the ring compared to the step count on my Fitbit, and they were pretty different. So talk to me a little bit about how you're doing step tracking and activity tracking. Right. So first, one thing right off the top is we do not allow people to calibrate the motion sensors. You know, So if you're looking at step counts, like just normal walking, uh, that's where like with a Fitbit, you're able to, actually able to calibrate it over time. Uh, Garmin does the same thing. Uh, we we aren't really t- measuring steps in the traditional way that most wearables do. We are using the same kinds of motion sensors. But what we do to sort of calibrate the motion sensors is we actually used uh, high-speed cameras and these carbon exchange devices people wear, like a mask people wear. And we try and figure out how many metabolic equivalent somebody burns while they're moving, just general, move, all kinds of movement. And walking is one of those. And so we're more interested in tracking how many metabolic equivalents or calories you're burning over time during the day. And I, and I believe we're doing that as better than anybody. But when it comes to steps, I mean, there, there's a sort of a discrepancy. We show steps because Fitbit sort of dictated everybody needs to show steps. I wish we didn't have to do that. I think people would would do better off by just focusing on are they active or not and how active are they? And that's something we show in the app. Does that make sense? It does. So then basically you're saying that you have the step count just because everybody kind of expects it. But if, if I were to go out and walk a thousand steps and come back, it might not say exactly a thousand steps, but on the flip side, for example, when I'm podcasting right now, I'm standing up, my hands are flailing all over the place, I'm very energetic, I'm going to have 0.0 steps over the hour. You're saying that it might give me like an extra two or 3,000 steps because it's the equivalent of what I would burn if I walked two or 3,000 steps. Is that about right? Yeah, that's, that's what could happen. If, if you wave your arms enough in the... It could be mistaken as walking. So you could get steps from there. We try to rule out certain common type motions so they're not counted as steps. But certainly, you know, in some wearables are better at this than others. Um, there are other things that can increase steps. Uh, people, you know, using a push mower to mow their lawn. The vibration of a, a lawnmower is right there with, with 50 hertz. So you can rack up a huge number of steps on the oar ring by mowing your lawn. So it's you know, again, it's imperfect in that respect. But I think what, you know, people need to realize is that the key to health is moving throughout the day. It's not necessarily, you know, how, how intense your running or your bike cycling was or your gym workout. You know, they have shown there's benefit to those, but it's the overall movement during the day that historically made us healthy individuals. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my Topomat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the Topomat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, 
let's hear from Core360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, and that's something that I've been preaching for years. So anybody that has listened to this regularly is like, oh yeah, we've been hearing this every single week, every episode. Um, I even yeah, built an entire online learning program called Move Yourself that just helps people move throughout the day regardless of how much they exercise or they train because you can train for 90 minutes a morning and then sit for 12 hours a day and you're going to be just as about unhealthy as somebody that doesn't do that exercise. So it's going to make you stronger and maybe improve your cardiovascular system to a certain extent. But just as far as general health and longevity, like you said, you just have to continually move throughout the day and not be stagnant. Right. And saying a couple of things I'd like to, you know, kind of elaborate on this is uh, another thing is, you know, Fitbit started the whole 10,000 steps a day. And there really isn't any science behind that, meaning someone's going to be healthy if you hit that number or not. It was one quote unquote study in, in Japan that looked at that, but that was it. And, and Fitbit, you know, again, became so huge, they created sort of a standard around that. Uh, the other standard is 150 active minutes um, a week. And that's the, the U.S. government has put that one forward. And, and so everybody is building that into their wearables now. Um, what we've done, like on a day-to-day basis, that's different than anybody else, is we give a calorie goal of how active you should be and that, that goal changes day to day based on how recovered you are, uh, which is pretty cool. So if you have a day when you're, you've got an elevated temperature, you slept crappy, your HRV was in the tank, your heart rate was really high, you know, all these things, you know, you, you're going to have probably a, a calorie goal of 150 calories, of active calories, uh, which is not very many. So you might just want to go for a short walk with the dog that day. If you have a super recovery, your goal might be, you know, 650 active calories. So that changes day to day based on your recovery. Yeah. And that's something that I found tremendously beneficial. So I'm just uh, in the app again, and I'm going to read through just the stats for this week, where today my activity goal was 500. And it's, a, you know, 1030 in the morning here. And I've already reached 514 because I went to the gym this morning, but I'm also moving, I'm active. But then if we go back to that conversation we had about that low HRV reading, just the day before, my activity goal was 300. Yep. And that's not something that you get on any of the other wearables because it asks you 
what is your goal for the day? But this is telling me what my goal should be based on my actual makeup and my data, which to me is tremendously more beneficial. Right. And one thing we're, we're going to be working on in, as a future release is allowing people to specify in their profile under the settings, sort of what type, you know, sort of what their goals are just in general in life. You know, are you an elite athlete, you know, super competitive versus the other extreme? You know, you might have some medical issues or you're handicapped so that calorie goal can be adjusted appropriately. So if you're an elite athlete, like for today, instead of having 600, and let's say you were, you know, one of the top competitors on Ninja Warrior, uh, that goal might have been 2,000. Or we might say for you, because you're such an elite athlete, you know, we'll give you the option to say, don't even give me a goal. Show me what, what I'm, how I'm doing towards calorie you know, acti- activity during the day, but don't actually give me a goal because I don't really care. Sure. Yeah. And that, that definitely makes sense. Um, and as long as we're still talking about activity, the next thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which for me is tremendously important, and it's what I'm really trying to do is get the minimum amount of wearables possible. Because for example, like right now, and part of this is because I'm testing, but I'm wearing an aura ring, I'm wearing a Fitbit Blaze. And when I was working out this morning, I had a heart rate monitor on. So I had four different wearables <laughs> trying to compare all this different information, which I don't advocate anybody doing. Right. The point being, I, what I really want is just one wearable that rules them all. Right. I just want to have one thing on. Yeah. And when I, if I'm somebody that doesn't care about step count or reaching my 10,000. The one thing that was really kind of bugging me just because I'm OCD about the details was that with the ring, I wasn't seeing, I didn't seem to get an accurate step count. But now that I understand the way that it's interpreted, I don't really care about the step count. I care much more about the energy that I'm expending during the day. So if that means that I'm on an assault bike and it's you know giving me an equivalent number of steps or you know whatever the activity might be, that's actually more useful to me. Yeah, But you guys have recently added the option to add activities as well. And I want you to help me interpret this a little bit. But on other programs, like for example, a Fitbit, when you say you can add an exercise, so you hit the plus button, you say, I went and did my CrossFit class. And then you kind of have to estimate the amount of calories. All I'm doing on this one is I'm giving it a time span. And I notice that all of a sudden, all of these like bars are showing me the different levels of intensity. Is that based on the data and the heart rate that it's already getting and it's calculating all that information? Because I don't have to enter anything but the time frame. No, actually, that's not the case. So if you manually enter an exercise or an activity in the Aura app, what we do is if you say CrossFit, there's a standard compendium for like how, you know, how much uh, calories are burned for a given exercise. And they, it's, it's quite extensive. You know, they have everything in there. And so you tell us the duration and the, was it, did you feel it was low, medium, or high? And in most cases, people's rate of perceived exertion is quite good. So it's, and it's relative to your own perception, which is, is accurate where it should be. So if you're not truly fit and you felt, man, this really, this kicked my ass. And the person next to you is super fit. And they're like, this was nothing. This was my recovery workout. It doesn't matter. Because if you say it's hard for you, it was hard for you. So we basically take the duration, the type of activity, and the intensity, and we do a lookup in this metabolic table and say, this is what, you know, what it looked like. And we show in the activity graph, you know, is five minute averages for that level of effort. And that was one of the areas that I found interesting. So for example, I just entered cross training um, for my activity. So from seven to eight in the morning, 
and I put moderate because it was a, a more of a mobility and recovery routine than it was like one of the balls to the wall throwing kettlebells at other people in the classroom kind of workouts. <laughs> Um, but I still had a couple of bars where it said high between 7 and 8 a.m. So that's why I was interested about how it's calculating it because I just put in moderate. So my assumption was it would just be the moderate line from 7 to 8, but it actually has a couple of peaks that are high. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't played around with that. I mean, one thing I should point out because you mentioned it is because we use infrared sensors in the ring, they're not turned on during the day unless you're super still. Because infrared sensors, uh, you can't take out any what's called motion artifacts. So if there's movement, the signal goes to hell, in other words. So we're just using the motion sensors mostly during the day. So having a couple of high ones, my understanding is what you put in for the manual activity overwrites anything the ring records. But I may, I may not be understanding that correctly, and I can certainly check into that and let you know. But uh, so I guess then my other follow-up question to that is even though it's measuring the level of intensity, if I'm saying moderate for 60 minutes, let's say that 40 minutes of that was really light recovery and then 20 minutes of it was a bunch of Tabatas on the assault bike or doing sprints or whatever, it's still going to say it was 60 minutes of moderate, not 40 minutes of light and 40 minutes of high, correct? That would be my understanding. I mean, to get, to get that effect, you would have to specify your workout in two segments. Right which is what some people do. The other thing people can do, and I should mention it here, and I, th- I think I mentioned this to you already, is if somebody uh, still wants to use a wrist-based wearable or some other wearable to track their workouts, uh, we now support on the iOS side the ability to import automatically uh, workouts from Apple Health. And so if you have a wearable like uh, Fitbit doesn't talk to Apple Health, uh, but there's there are certain workarounds for uh, wearables like that. But like the a lot of the ones like the Garmin's can actually export the an actual workout to Apple Health. So if you have a Garmin watch, and that's what I have, I sync it to Garmin Connect. I send it to Strava because I'm a runner, and that's where all the runners are. I then sync uh, Strava with Apple Health, and then Apple Health then pulls it into the Aura app. So even though the rings on my body while I'm running. Uh, it's actually overriding that with the data it pulls from uh, Garmin, which what they send over is the start and end time, the, the type of activity, in my case, running, and then how many calories I burned as they calculated off the Garmin watch. Right. And that, that was the, if you know, we're going to look at one stat above all that is going to be the most interesting or compelling to me when it comes to activity, it's going to be number of calories burned. So the question that I have, let's say, and this isn't really hypothetical, this is what I was doing two hours ago. Let's say I'm wearing my Aura Ring, I'm wearing a Fitbit Blaze, and I'm wearing a Polar heart rate monitor, and I'm tracking it. I use the app iCardio. I know that there are lots of different apps, but I use iCardio from FitDigits. So of those three, if I'm doing a heavy, intense CrossFit exercise or whatever kind of training I'm doing, which one of those is going to give me the most accurate number of calories burned? I don't even need intensity levels, but just for that 60-minute period, which do you feel is going to tell me this is as close as you're going to get to the amount of energy you actually burn during that workout? I would guess if you're moving in different planes, uh, probably the chest strap. And the reason for that, if you're collecting the heart rate, depending how they do it, it would just purely be the calories burned for that activity. And the reason I bring this up is, I'll give an example for me, uh, Garmin, uh, well, let me compare it. So 
the way Aura works is, are you familiar with basal metabolic rate? Yes. Yeah, so we use the standard Schofield uh, formula. So in the Aura Ring profile, you give us your, your age, your gender, your weight. And we use those to figure out, at, and we reset it at 4 a.m. local time every morning. Your base, we show what your basal metabolic rate is. And for your listeners, that's how many calories you would burn if you were like laying down all day long, not doing, not moving any at all. Now we do it right off, and so we put that as your total burn for the day, and then your activity adds to that. Also, if there's any movement during the day that we don't classify as actual activity but it's sort of background movement, that gets added to the total. So if you're looking at the numbers and they don't match up like your basic metabolic rate and your activity rate, if the total is higher, that's because of that background movement. Um, Garmin, on the other hand, at, throughout the day, they, they sort of uh, mix in your basic metabolic rate. So if I go for a run, a piece of my calorie burn is part of my BMR. So that comes into Aura. That artificially inflates my calorie burn for the day a slight amount because it's building in more of my basic metabolic rate, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And that, and uh, I'm glad that you had brought up just kind of explaining what that was briefly because I think that a lot of people will equate calorie burn with activity, but they don't realize that they burn what, I mean, for, I think for me, my, uh, my BMR is probably about 1800. So that means that if I did nothing, if I were motionless for 24 hours, I burn almost 2000 calories. Right, right. And I think that people are just so hung up on, oh, I have to move all day long. And if I need to burn all these extra calories, calories in versus calories out, it's like, you're doing a lot of the work just by being alive, just by breathing and pumping your blood. Like that's actually where most of your calorie expenditure comes in. Like for example, it's only 11 o'clock in the morning and it's telling me that my burn for the day is already 2,550 calories. Right, right. And I'm assuming that that's based on the fact that I was sleeping for the first seven hours and then I did a relatively intense CrossFit workout from seven to eight. And since then, I've either been coaching people where I'm standing and I'm very um, active and engaged or I've been doing the podcast. So really, since I woke up at six in the morning, I've had five hours of relatively intense, moderate activity. Right. And that's the thing is, so a lot of this, so the most common background calories that we take account for are the amount of extra energy over your BMR, you actually burn sitting. Believe it or not, you burn extra, um, you know, like working at a computer and also standing. Just standing upright burns more calories than your BMR, background BMR. So that's a lot of the stuff that doesn't show up as activity. Once you start walking around in a room, that starts getting counted as, you know, movement activity, you know, Uh, Right. Okay. So then for somebody that's super OCD like me that wants to have the best data possible, but with the most minimal amount of trackers and constantly having to stay up to date with this stuff, it seems like for all of my regular activity, the ring is covering everything. And you're saying that if I really am super OCD about this, which I am, that I should still be wearing the heart rate strap if I'm doing intense exercise. Yeah, I mean, if you really, if, if you're really concerned, right down to the fine detail of how much energy you're expending, absolutely, and especially if you know people that are in the sort of the gym environment where they're using different cardio machines, lifting weights and stuff, uh, there's no way, no easy way the ring can pick up all those activities even close to accurate. But there is one consistent thing you can do when you're doing different things: is heart rate. 
Right. So you're saying that the heart rate sensors that we have in the Aura Ring are not going to be the same heart rate sensors or data that we get from a chest strap. Well, st chest strap doesn't use optical. Uh, it's a straight ECG, so it's electrical measurement. We're like extremely close to lab quality ECG. I mean, very close. It's been the ring's been validated off our optical infrared. But <clears throat> again, our optical infrared. If you're doing a gym workout, they are not going to be on at all because if there's any movement, they don't turn on. I got it. Okay, th that was the, the piece of the puzzle that I couldn't figure out because it seemed like this thing was laboratory grade. But what you're saying is that the laboratory grade ECG is coming from the infrared, which really only happens when you're at rest and asleep. Right, but one, but one thing we are coming out with, I'd like to mention too, is we're um, coming out with a new feature called on-demand heart rate. And so with that feature, we're still finalizing what it will look like in the app, but I've been testing it. You know, you basically hit start and it will do a, you know, a countdown and you just, as long as you stay still, it'll turn on the infrared sensors and you do, you know, maybe a mindfulness protocol or just some standard relaxation protocol or just a spot check after you've worked out and it will measure your heart rate and heart rate variability for that session. Then you hit stop and you're done. Oh, I like that. So that is pretty much the equivalent of putting on the chest strap for a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you do, and that's one thing that, you know, I would like to use it for. I mean, some of the watches do this. I know the new Apple Watch 4, which I, I just ordered uh, so I can test it. That when you, a lot of people after they run a lot of the watches, if you're still for like three minutes afterwards, they'll look at your recovery heart rate, which is actually a good indicator of how fit you are. So you could also do it with the Aura Ring. You go out for a run or, or do a workout in the gym, whatever the workout is. Uh, after you're done, you sit down, hit start on our on-demand heart rate, sit there for five minutes and then stop. And you've got your, what happened to your heart rate after you finished exercising in your HRV, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. That's great. That's really, really helpful. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. I could go down this rabbit hole for, God, hours. Well, I could talk um, for hours, too, believe me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I get that sense. I get the sense that you and I are kindred spirits, for sure. But just to kind of do a super brief recap, just to make sure I understand and make sure that my audience kind of grasps this, because I think that for some people listening, they're going to be athletes like I am that are training and see the, the training efficacy. But I think for most people, it's just going to be, oh, wow, this thing is going to give me much more accurate sleep data and it's going to help me understand why I feel like crap in the morning versus when I don't feel like crap in the morning. How can I apply this to the creative work that I'm doing? Um, as far as step count is concerned, if I'm super, super OCD about the number of steps and it actually being the number of times that my foot hits the pavement, this probably isn't the best solution. However, if I'm really interested in the total calorie expenditure or the energy in general that's the equivalent of steps, this to me seems like a better, more accurate solution than a Fitbit, so to speak. And when it comes, when it comes to activity tracking, if it's just generalized activity throughout the day, it's again going to be the most accurate. But if I'm a super crazy, intense athlete, I still need to stick with the heart rate strap. Is that a fairly good summary? Yeah, I think, I think that's what most people... I mean, I, you know, my, the circles I fly in tend to be mostly runners, all my friends and stuff. And it doesn't matter if we had spot on accuracy for how many miles and, and we could actually turn on the heart rate monitoring while you're running, they would still wear a Garmin or a Suntu or a Polar or a Fitbit or whatever. I mean, you know, because they want the elevation gain and their splits and all that stuff. 
So yeah, if you're a serious athlete and you need to have the finer details, definitely the ring is then, and, you know, it, it's an augment, you know, it augments the aura ring basically. And as I Got said, it. you can pull that workout right currently via Apple Health into the aura app if you want to see the data there now. Right. But the, the biggest component for me where this has been an absolute game changer is the recovery and the readiness because that has changed my entire routine. And what I found is that by training less, I'm actually moving forwards infinitely faster. So I was just of the mindset that, oh, I got to push harder and you know, I'm, just, I'm not getting strong fast enough and I need to do another workout because of that. And then the, the ring taught me very, very quickly that that's not the case. So I've cut my volume by... I don't know, 20 or 30%, but my gains have skyrocketed because I'm recovering more. Right. And for me, the, the thing I look at, if there was only one thing I could look at, I would look at the readiness score. All the other stuff, you know, like this, all the sleep details, I use those to sort of test lifestyle changes. Because if I can, you know, alter lifestyle choices and get higher quality sleep, my readiness score goes up. But at the end of the day, I just want to have a good recovery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that to me is the, the holy grail of all of this is there's all kinds of data and information and measurements. But like you said, if you just buy this thing and wear it for one number, just the readiness number alone, that can completely change your life and your behaviors and really give you a different viewpoint of what are the choices I'm making that are leading to the way that I feel every single day. Well, I want to be very respectful of your time and I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and just letting me geek out and be OCD about uh, biohacking and tracking and quantification and all this cool stuff that I probably lost everybody at about minute seven. Um, <laughs> but for those that I, that I didn't lose with all this stuff, I hope that they uh, are really inspired to go to the next level to track this stuff. And before I let you go, I just want to make sure that people know where to find more information about the work you're doing because you do stuff outside of Aura as well and then where they can find one of these rings. Yeah, so I'll start with the, uh, if you want to know anything about the Aura ring, go to auraring.com. That's O-U-R-A ring.com. Uh, for me, uh, the best place to go to is just uh, Chuck Hazard. So that's Chuck as in Charlie. Hazard is like the Dukes of two Z's.com. Awesome. Well, I'm going to make sure to put links in the show notes to both of those. So anybody that finds the page, even if they don't listen to the show itself, they're going to have those links. But I'm tremendously grateful for the time you've given today and your expertise. And I very, very much appreciate it. So thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. And if anybody has any questions, they send you to send them my way and I'll do my best to answer them. I will definitely do that. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.